My word. Yeah, better now than later. Okay. Uh, the, well, I know what the, I know what the intro for that show is going to be. <laughs> that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> Just someone trashing a room beforehand. No, it's it's post post daughter slumber party, so they're trying to, to create your own jazz uh, joint. No, no, no. Just wreck it. Was, uh, a lot of a lot of cleaning had to be done after the uh, the big slumber party. So oh yeah, we're all clear now. We're ready to go. Yeah, that's a very predictable intro. <laughs> <laughs> that's that one taken care of, anyway. Okay, everyone, welcome back to Tokyo Jazz Joints. Uh, good to have you again for another week. Uh, this week is episode 21. Uh, we never imagined we'd be getting into the 20s with this, but uh, it's fantastic to see uh, everyone still listening. We're getting lovely comments each week um, and uh, some nice feedback from you. So uh, keep listening, keep sharing, uh, keep telling your friends uh, uh, and keep an eye on our social media feed. You can always get us at Tokyo Jazz Joints. And of course, the website, tokyojazzjoints.com. Make sure you've got that open uh, for every episode if you can do, because obviously, uh, as we talk about the places, it should really enrich it uh, if you can look at the photographs as well. James, how are things? Well, really good, man. And 21 is a great number. I still remember taking my first drink of alcohol when I turned 21 back many, many years ago. Of course, that's the drinking age in the United States. So, uh, you know, I had to wait until I was of legal age to enjoy my first beer. And I can still remember the taste of it. Funny that, because my first drink, I would say, was around 24, even though technically I could have drunk from when I was 18. And uh, I think it was Japan. I don't know whether... Japan took its toll in that way, but uh, I never started drinking until I went to Japan, so uh, it maybe has a lot to answer for. Anyway, that's remarkable probably a considering considering you were in Glasgow for quite a few years. That's Indeed, a yeah. pretty I, remarkable feat of discipline. Very impressed. And grew up in Ireland. I mean, if we're if we're if we're <laughs> leaning into those stereotypes, <laughs> wasn't um, going to say that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this week um, we are back in Tokyo. Um, this is the second of our, certainly at the moment anyway, three-part series of Tokyo Deep Cuts. These are kind of these places, I suppose, that fall through the cracks in the sense that they're maybe not a natural fit with one of our thematic episodes. Um, they are places that we did visit, of course, and photographed. And like all the jazz joints, they have their own kind of um, inimitable charms um, or... Uh, there's something kind of weird and quirky about them. And certainly uh, in, in the contact that we've had with other listeners and fans of the project, uh, they're not places often that are mentioned unless maybe, you know, you lived, happen to live in that neighborhood um, or, you know, you'd come across it through some sort of recommendation from a, a Japanese friend or something like that. So we're going to cover four joints today. Um, and I'd say we're going to go in, I never can get this one right. Is it ascending or descending? I think it's ascending order. And that's not to do any disrespect to any of the joints in the themselves but we're going to finish with an absolute belter and i'd say when we get into the top five uh jazz joints of all time as far as we're concerned episode this one without a doubt i say is going to be pushing for the number one spot with me so anyway we'll come to that in a moment let's kick off with ragtime um what can you tell us about ragtime ragtime a very important place for me 
when I was a graduate student in Japan about 15, more than that, 16, 17 years ago, uh, I lived out in a student dorm way in the western sort of uh, residential suburbs. And one day I happened to take a different train, blah, 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 came out of the train station, boom, there it is, a little sign with jazz on it. So, of course, I went in and walked up the mandatory rickety stairs. Uh, by now, uh, we've mentioned probably 20 places that you climb up a set of rickety stairs. Yes, please. Very yes, tiny, please. Very tiny room. Um, and Ragtime is just beautiful. It's a square little space, um, very wooden Tons of albums, of course, um, but it's located in a neighborhood. I mean, this is a good half an hour's ride west of central Tokyo. So when I first wrote about ragtime on my website, um, Tokyo Jazz Site, I put, you know, only in Japan would you be able to find such an authentic, incredible jazz spot way out in the distant suburbs. And I mean, that's still very true. You know, this is the real deal. Um, what was really interesting, and you can see it from the first sign, if you're looking at TokyoJazzJoints.com under Ragtime, you've got a great picture of it. You can see the sort of very local street that it's on. Um, modern jazz, open 3 p.m. to 2 a.m. Um, and then in the background, you've got like a, a, a supermarket on the right. You've got a gyoza shop, a dumpling shop on the left. People are doing their shopping. There's a cab coming through the narrow streets. It's just that kind of neighborhood place that people stop by for coffee. Um, the 2 a.m. thing is a little unusual most places don't stay open that late i don't think we've been to even the clubs close earlier than that right so um for a place that's not specifically a nighttime bar that's a lot of opening hours you know yeah i mean having said that i suppose we mentioned this previously i mean again if you've not been to, to japan you'll probably be amazed by the utter lack of any kind of licensing laws so a lot of the times these uh, opening hours are decided by the owner uh, purely for personal reasons. I mean, there's there's very little restriction in terms of when bars, restaurants close. And I mean, <clears throat> I know there's a lot of cities that get that title of, of never sleeping, but I think Tokyo is generally one of those places where any time of the night or day you can go in somewhere, get some food, have a drink. Uh, and you're not restricted or or um, hampered in that same way by you know we got to get out by this time or we got to drink up because the pubs are closing or whatever. So it's nice in that sense, you know. But um, I think like for me, ragtime. It's interesting you talk about it having that kind of uh, effect or that memory on you because I think for me it's one of those places that I I, I remember it going to it and and uh, it's a beautiful place inside. But I don't. It doesn't stand out in my mind, and I tend to sort of lump it in with places that kind of have similar names like you know sometime and scratch and there's kind of like a group of those places in Tokyo that maybe didn't have such a huge impact on me in the same way um but looking at the photographs again I mean it's beautiful inside um all sort of decked out in wood and it has a really um old school kind of vibe particularly when you look at that collection of records with the the books and magazines and then the speakers in the in the foreground Oh, yeah, completely. And, you know, I think I definitely, as you said, I mean, I, I spent a good um, part of my supposed research time uh, when I was in grad school at Ragtime, supposedly studying, uh, but really just drinking all day and listening to records and talking to the locals in there. Uh, so it's definitely an important place for me. And and the, the photographs that he has around, and you captured a couple of them in the stairwell. You've got the, the Miles Davis record, you've got Jim Hall. Um, you know, it, it's, it's certainly a lived-in place. And I did not remember, I've got to interject here, this this photo you have here of the bottle keeps. I'm just looking at it. 
of myself. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> with the with the who are you? I did not remember you taking that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's just that's just great and complete mystery as to why it's in English. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, I, well, I, I suppose maybe the implication is that someone non-Japanese came along one night, uh, bought this bottle, whatever happened that evening, maybe it got messy, but they didn't obviously uh, get their name on it or whatever the reason. And we've talked a lot about this bottle keep system. It's very Japanese. You know, you can see if you're looking at the photos on the left-hand bottle of I.W. Harper, there's a there's a name written on the left and right-hand side of the sticker at the top. And equally on the right, there's a name on it there and a date as well in which it was purchased. And I mean, uh, it's a cheaper way that's, to drink, isn't it? But That's that's exactly what must have happened, yeah, because it probably was some, some foreign person who, you know, had a little bit too much bourbon and just didn't know the system. You know, and, and, and didn't realize that, no, you have to write your own name on the bottle and the date that you bought it. Yeah. And so and so the owner probably would have remembered that and, and, and written that there. But that's just, <laughs> there's something about that that's just really sweet, you know. I mean, the other Rather alternative. Just drinking it up. The other alternative, of course, is, that, you know, it's it's just a very deep existential question posed there so that people who take photographs of it even five, six years later will still be discussing what the meaning of it is, in which case it's been I, I, fairly I, successful. I was thinking if you're if you're tucked into that bottle of uh, of of Kentucky Straight, you you may want to avoid such existential questions as that and just listen to the jazz. Um, but getting to uh, your next picture, there, another in the series of beautiful menus up on the mm. wall. There's something just so so sweet and gorgeous about that that the time it would take to write those out, you know. And you can see little additions here and there that they've added, um, you know, in, in terms of the price or like you know to add things extra and. Uh, it's just um, I've always been curious about the one at the bottom um, for our non-Japanese uh, readers. Uh, it's the little white one at the bottom mm. that says uh, Aquapatsu. What what is that exactly? Do you have any idea? Aquapatsu. Aquapatsu. Yeah. What do you think? Aquapatsu. I mean, what? what if could anybody, that be? Is... anyone listening, recognizes what that might be, I mean, if you, if you know any Japanese at all, you'll know often with katakana, which is the the alphabet used for a lot of loan words from different languages, you often have to kind of roll it over your tongue five or six times before you gradually recognize what the actual original yeah, word was ex in English. Exactly. But like it's it's a phonetic it's the phonetic alphabet you use for, for overseas words. And so you have like in the food one at the top you see three hundred it says chocolate, chocoretto, but aquapazza, is that a drink? Is it some sort of food? For some reason that kind of stuck in my head. Um again, I never order the food in these places, but uh, but I love the menus in this place. I love the lighting and I, it's a really cool system. Now they you can see the little gnome on the table with some pencils, right? Yeah. Uh, underneath the picture. So um, when you when you get your coffee or your drink, you know, he gives you a little piece of paper. So you grab a pencil and write down a request of what you want to hear. Um, now, supposedly, you're only supposed to ask for one tune. Um, but believe me, I've been in there and I've asked for like 10 tunes in a row. And, yeah, you know they they played it probably just assuming oh yeah the foreigner of course he doesn't follow the rules but um, but that was a really really cool one too um, I'm always happy about places you know we've talked previously about Chigusa uh, in Yokohama the great Chigusa where you get the menu of 50 pages of jazz albums and you can make your request um, some of the soul music bars do that too uh, but it always adds a nice little warm flavor to it you, you you feel like oh okay I'm not just intruding on the owner and his you know uh, obscure and valuable collection i'm here to like have a, a communal experience yeah. and uh it was just great spending time there to do that yeah it's a really nice system isn't it and i think it's sort of it's kind of reminiscent of the pre 
on-demand listening sort of era that we live in, you know, where everything streams and, you, you know, you hear a song or someone mentions a song, you immediately go to your phone, your device, whatever, and you can, you can access it. So, um, yeah, nice, well, na- even, nice even, even before Even before that, um, because remember, we, I think we've talked uh, way, way back in the beginning of this, uh, of this podcast series, uh, talking about what the Jazz Kisaten really are. Um, you know, Ragtime does date back a bit. And, and at the time when, when Ragtime and other places like that opened, um, people could not afford the records, literally didn't have any access to it. There were yeah. you know, either you went to the shop and you got to listen to one track or you'd go to a jazz cafe if you didn't catch it on the radio. So so being able to request the new Coltrane or whatever, um, that was like a really valuable experience to have. And I really like how they've continued to do it because, um, you know, not like as you said, you know, you can just go home and queue up whatever you want. But but to request it, to write it down, that, that sort of ritualistic aspect of it, I really enjoy. And that's very Japanese. Yeah, I mean, um, before we move on, just again, uh, for the fans of Easter eggs, again, you'll see on the entrance uh, hall there, there is, of course, uh, predictably a, a couple of photographs of Miles, but well, actually just one, sorry, in the photo. But um, you'll see down at the bottom, uh, there is the soundtrack poster for this uh, French film, which um, I'm not going to butcher uh, on the podcast, but the translation in English is elevator to the gallows and uh apologies. yeah yeah elevator to the gallows although for some reason i i the soundtrack version i have of that is called lift to the scaffolds i'm assuming lift being Br- i must have the british version of that then quite so, possibly uh, but, yeah yeah but um obviously that um is the photograph or sorry that's the album um which features in the photograph from garrow so if you were listening to um our all the single ladies episode where we we discussed garrow in some detail you'll probably remember from that photograph uh that album is on display uh in the, the sort of interior shot of, of Garrow. So, yeah, it's always nice to see these little connections between the place as well. And if you look really carefully, you can spot a, a Village Vanguard T-shirt up there on the roof as well, just above the uh, photograph with the gnome. So, uh, yeah, nice to see those little touches as well in these places. So moving to our next joint, and I'll spare you, Philip, your butchering of the English language in the please, American context. Please, yeah. Uh, it is the Adirondack Cafe, um, a very curious name, which uh, unfortunately we didn't get a chance. Um, we did talk to the owner there, but um, being a good New York City boy, of course, I'm familiar with the Adirondack region, which is in upstate New York, beautiful mountainous area in the north part of the state. Uh, so I'm not sure why uh, he's named it that. But if you're looking at the pictures, you can see on the door, it's kind of this picture of a lake with like a canoe in it. It's the kind of thing you would see in the Adirondacks in upstate New York. Um, not sure the connection to jazz. But anyway, um, what, what did you... What did you find really unique about this place? Because it doesn't really share the vibe of anywhere else we've been to. Yeah, I mean, this place is really interesting, I think, because you can see, and you can see from the photographs, and I've done my best to certainly photograph some of it, but, you know, even things like um, there's a sort of a curious, what looks like a a coaster of... um, this wonderful World Jazz Foundation with Louis Armstrong and the American Japanese flags. And you, obviously then you can see a signed photograph of Teddy Wilson and, and equally on other walls, it just covered with these very meticulously framed um, photographs and memorabilia. You can see the uh, uh, Dan Harlem photograph there and small. There's obviously the Duke Ellington poster. And I think for me, this place looked uh, really had a feel of like almost an archive about it. Um it's funny because actually one of the photographs has a photograph of of an old record shop which i i'm guessing is is from the states um and 
there's something about this place that just has a very almost like it was put together by a, a jazz historian or a librarian you know it's it, it is a cafe uh, as we see from the door it does serve fine food and beverages but um, <laughs> you know there's something beautiful about it the way that it preserved all this jazz memorabilia and everywhere you looked everywhere you turned there were either um, you know little artifacts um, record CDs uh, signed things uh, framed pictures and from that point of view it really sticks in my head as being um, somewhere sort of I suppose quite unique uh, at the risk of maybe overusing in that word when we're referring to jazz joints um i know as well you know from the going in together with you like it had a very local vibe didn't it it felt very much like a telltale yeah, sign yes. often those people at the counter you know you often find yeah. that people sitting at the counter are sitting there because they have the confidence to do so because they're regulars and and they're used to being there yeah you could you could hear you could hear the conversation going on that they were very familiar uh, to the owners and and obviously regular customers and, um, and just to go back for one second you're talking about sort of like the the archival feel for it or uh, the picture you got of the the, the Teddy Wilson one from mm. 1970 right next to it that that Louis Armstrong um, uh, coaster which says you know uh, the wonderful World Jazz Foundation so underneath it uh, in Japanese, it says the Louis Armstrong, uh, you know, the Japanese Louis Armstrong Association Kyokai. We've talked about how there's always associations for everything in Japan. And I'm really interested to, to know if, if that association still exists, if some of the older members mm. who've collected this memorabilia. Um, because if my eyes are not deceiving me, and it's hard to focus right now because I'm having a little bit of a, of a uh, as they call it here, a Rogan moment or reading glasses moment. Oh, dear. I believe that photo is by Yuko Saito, is it say? Under under the picture of Lewis with the two flags. So that would mean that was taken um, in Japan. I don't recall Louis Armstrong coming ever to Japan to play gigs. Um, maybe on one of them when he was working those State Department tours, it's possible. But that means we're going way, way back to the 50s. So even at that time period, there was not only jazz fans, there was actually associations and groups mm. formalized getting together to welcome Louis Armstrong for his Japan tour. And and they made a coaster and somehow it ended up here in, in the Adirondack Cafe. I mean, that to me is just amazing. I mean, I um, noticed the one above says, remember Satchmo. So it may have been started, uh, you know, after he passed away or something as a sort of a, a memorial type organization as well. I was wondering mm. too, just looking at some of the other memorabilia, if you look at the, the final picture in the set, which has got... Um, probably your beer on there um, open and ready to go but like you'll see on the right um, there is the is Adirondack Cafe and then now playing and to me that almost looks like it might have come from somewhere else so I don't know if the inspiration for the name has maybe been a cafe that someone had previously or the owner had previously visited in the States maybe still going maybe uh, no longer there but it almost looks like something not it, it to me it doesn't look like something that was made for that place it looks very much like something that had been bought in like a, it's, it's, an antique it's shop. It's possible, ex except the except the the, the rather unfortunate uh, <laughs> caricature yeah. underneath it yeah, is yeah. not something you would see. Uh, well, certainly not in the present day, but even in the last several decades in the states. 
Um, so I, I'm not sure. Um, it's possible that the place was not originally a jazz cafe, mm. maybe, maybe, and maybe in a different location. Unfortunately, when we visited, it was a little bit busy, so we didn't get a chance to do the usual sort of 15 to 20 minute conversation uh with the owner that we that we usually do um but you know certainly it just again in every photo you have of it look at the amount of flyers yeah. postcards yeah. uh assigned portraits uh definitely tending towards the more um vocal and swing period of jazz absolutely yeah. uh, um and that might explain as well the age of the the customers that then tend to go there uh but it, but it has a combination of, of both that sort of you know that, that museum feel but still a very working cafe like people were hanging out there oh you yeah, know what yeah, i mean yeah. like they they you could tell that those guys and and, and the lady were there when we got in and they were going to be there for another couple hours afterwards mm. um and I'm mentioning the location as well because this is in the jimbocho neighborhood which is uh uh basically the book selling and publishing neighborhood of Tokyo from centuries back. Uh, not too many jazz spots in that area. So I, I am wondering if maybe this was the, the sort of second location, because certainly all the memorabilia comes from years back. It had to have been somewhere else first. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty uh, well appointed, isn't it? It seems in pretty good mm. nick um, for, you know, ha having been a very old place for sure. Um, probably one of the busier places we went in terms of photographing it. I mean, it's amazing. And you'll see uh, there's a couple of other old guys at the bar um, as well in the, the photograph of, of the top of the piano where you you can see the reflection of the bar in the mirror. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was it, it, like it was it was a jumping place, really, wasn't it? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to stop back there because I, I just noticed as well. Like the burgers must be good because he's got the ketchup and mustard already set out on the table. You don't, that's a very American thing. <laughs> You're so gonna break your think, uh, Tokyo Jazz Joints fasting rule. I I may have to do that. I try burger, Exciting. get a Heartland beer, and listen to some uh, listen to some swing. Yeah, more breaking like news. More breaking news. Anyway, as we all know, I don't share your your seeming hatred of swing and and vocal jazz. Um, so we'll not we'll not get into that uh, right now. But um, let's move on because. Um, we want to give some time uh, to the last two places as well. Um, the, the third place that we're going to talk about today is the rather curiously named Owl. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it's, um, it sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's inspired by the bird, uh, the owl. Uh, it's not not it's not clear why, but as you would expect. Oh, I think I think it's very clear why. That's <laughs> what we're going to get into. I think it's very clear Is why. It? Once we once Go we on. talk about uh, once we talk about the owner. Well, uh, what, well. are, what are what are owls? What are owls very famous for? Well, they're quite wise, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I would say they're solitary. They they uh. stay up all night and they hang out by themselves up on a tree. No, there's a much more practical reason for it. I, although that I, I'd like to think it was that. Al is located in the neighborhood called Ikebukuro, which is oh. a. How would you describe Ikebukuro? Is it the is it the Brooklyn of? I wouldn't Brooklyn have thought. Well, certainly Tokyo? not. Certainly not Brooklyn as as it is now. I would say no, it's like no, the. Yeah. It's like the budget version of Shibuya. Uh, very budget yeah <laughs> okay um it's a massive i think it's the second largest station um in japan after shinjuku station um a very oppressive uh train station with a very low ceiling of which four or five million people pass through every day i used to commute there when i first came to japan um so when you come out of the ikebukuro station you think 
as a visitor to Japan, you think, oh, wow, this is downtown Tokyo. This is the biggest part of town, but it's, but it's, it's not. It's located a little bit northeast. Um, and it's, um, to be honest, it doesn't have the best reputation. It's known for having a lot of cheap shops. Um, there's a, a, another Chinatown that's grown on the north part of, uh, of the station. Um, and there's a real monstrosity of a building called the Sunshine. What is it called? Sunshine Building or Sunshine, Sunshine City? Sunshine City, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the most non-sunshiny type box concrete 80-story building. It's absolutely hideous. The kind of thing that they built after the war thinking that it was cool. You're really, um, selling, so basically, it. You're really selling it. You should work for yeah, the Ikebuku, Ikebukuro <laughs> Tourism Board if there's such a thing. I, listen, I earned it. I had to commute through there for a year and a half, so I, I'm allowed to, to go off a little bit. Basically, not the hippest part of town. But it's got a couple great jazz joints. Owl was tricky. Um, I had been trying to go there for a couple years uh, before we even started the project. And I think I remember telling you, Philip, that I could never... It took it took three years for me to get in. And it partially my fault. His opening hours were very strange. And for reasons still unclear, he does not open the place on Saturdays. Um, now, as I just described, Ikebukuro is packed with people shopping, eating, and drinking all weekend long. So to not open on a Saturday, which is a very typical jazz cafe time to be open, or you'd get most of your customers, is completely inexplicable. Um, I missed that information because it was on a tiny little sign on the front door covered with a lot of other posters and whatnot. But I finally did get in at one point. And uh, the owner basically, uh, unquestionably the most uncommunicative guy we've met on our project. Um, it may be more than personality for sure, but I would say almost... Uh certainly that he didn't make eye contact with us the entire time that we were there. And that was including when we sort of had a very brief kind of chat with him. I think we were kind of conscious as well. I remember being, uh, you know, we're keeping our voices a little quieter and we were just conscious, I think, because of the atmosphere that I, I guess his personality sort of permeates that we didn't want to kind of step over the line and, and piss him off or, or get kicked out, you know, and so on. So I think we kind of... We really dialed it in. Not that we're particularly loud and obnoxious when we do normally go, but I think there was very much like a... Well, speak a, for yourself. A reverence now, but, uh, <laughs> uh, that was sort of seemed to be required. Again, we may have, we may have been just projecting that because of, of his personality. I thought it was interesting when you're just looking at the sign, actually, that um, one, beside one of the many owls at outside uh, advertising uh, coffee uh, and jazz as sort of background music. And I suppose that's a kind of a good way to sum up the place, wasn't it? It was very much like a cafe with jazz rather than maybe a jazz cafe, albeit, you know, he had the music and there is a lot of memorabilia and so on. But it was it was yeah, definitely it, a regular it, cafe, wasn't it? I, well, no, you know, I don't know. I... I had a better impression of them then. I felt I felt it was very very jazzy, you know? I I, I thought that that the, the the problem was just because because we couldn't really talk with him and and I definitely felt that sense of awkwardness as well. Like we didn't want to, mm. you know, we didn't want to push it with the photos and stuff. We didn't want to stay too long even though there was nobody there at that time. But I mean, the fact that he's got the albums even outside on the stairwell. Yeah. Do you remember several episodes back we were talking about Guggen? 
yeah, yeah. Um, where we have the records. You know, he has them in the stairwell, and anybody could come by and take them at any time because it's outside the shop, mm. but nobody does. Well, he's got, what is it? You've got five of them there, and there's a couple more a little bit down the steps, you know? So I, I think I think he's definitely, you know, he's definitely really into the music. I've read online um, on some of the, the, the jazz, uh, jazz Twitter people that I follow, Japanese people, that um, it wasn't us. For, for a while, I thought it might have been us. Maybe he was just uncomfortable. He didn't speak English, etc. There's, you know, not a place many foreigners would probably go to. Uh, but apparently, it's just his, his personality. Um, by the way, we forgot to explain. You and I know why Al relates to Ikebukuro, but our listeners overseas, or I should say outside Japan, will not know that. The word for Al in Japanese is Fukuro. Uh, so the town name Ikebukuro, B and F are sometimes substituted in the Japanese language. So that that's that's the reason for the name. Um, but it certainly applies to this guy who I could imagine sitting there. What's the place with the coffee? The guy that never talks and, and only tweets uh, uh, about coffee. Uh, we talked about it the other day. Kisasekatsu. Yes. So Kisaseikatsu, the guy that that tweets uh, fifty times a day but follows no one and does never and never speaks to anyone, just tweets about coffee and jazz. This guy is sort of his spiritual brother. He's just playing the records. He makes the drink, but he doesn't say anything. And you know that's cool. I mean, we we can respect that and probably best not to you know push it too much. I think we did enough. Yeah, I mean it was a good, it was a nice place. I think again, looking from the photos, I, I'm pretty sure it was all CD, wasn't it? Um, but beautifully put together place, like as you can see just from the one shot of the counter. I mean, again, meticulously clean, um, you know, little shop cards, uh, menus on stands, ashtrays, everything in little frames. And it was a beautiful place. Um, I and think you got I, quite a few of the owls, but I, I mean, there were more. There were, there were a there lot were, more owls. I, I think yeah, that counted sure. at least 20, maybe not as many as there are cats in the samurai where there's like a thousand. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but he definitely had a lot of owls in there and uh um i would say like if you are in ikebukuro and you're and you're you're doing some shopping or drinking stop by there uh just to check it out before you go over to paper moon for for nighttime drinks oh yeah so listen let's um let's get on to our last place i've been looking forward to this one i mean i think from a photographic point of view for me uh, one of my favorite photographs that i've taken in the entire project uh lucky perhaps um Timely, whatever you want to call it, but uh, I'll never forget uh, going into this place. So uh, we're going to talk about Corner Pocket, which, I mean, even from the first photographs, if, you, if you're looking at the site, Corner Pocket, I mean, it looks just to all intents and purposes as a sort of a, an alley that you put bins in. And there's this beautiful sign and this kind of red vinyl chair. It's not for sitting on. It just sort of it just it's just there. And I mean, it gets better as you go in. I mean, it really looks like somewhere that's been abandoned. Um, let's let's set the scene. Let's set the scene for people who don't know. Kagurazaka in the central part of Tokyo, which is known uh, by local Japanese as Little Kyoto. Because it has side alleyways, sort of like stone, what, what do you call this? You know, stone pathways where, you know, wandering down the alleyways with little eateries. There's even geisha. It's a kind of this strange traditional um, pocket in the middle of central Tokyo. Um, but for reasons unknown, on one of these side alleyways that looks very, very run down, as you mentioned, is that beautiful sign, Jazz Spot Corner Pocket. 
So already you're kind of, it's an exception to what the surroundings are. Yeah. Um, And then when we walked in, exactly, you captured it perfectly with the the picture of the counter, which is, I mean, what what has he got there? He's got half of the the stock of the the bar is just there on the counter. I mean, the the shelves are not used for the bar anymore. I mean, like, when's Mm. the last time those glass doors were open to take a glass out? And you can see even from the, the bottle shelves up above, I mean, there's four or five bottles in there on the right-hand side. And like you say, even the... Um, it's a heavy, heavy reliance on the bourbon on the on the, on the the uh, counter. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much bourbon. Do you want bourbon? Well, there, or- there's, so much, there's so much going on. Um, needless to say, this was not a place where I used the glass that he offered. I just drank from the bottle of beer that he brought. Uh, but um, there's so much going on in this picture you have of the counter because... Um, did you see on the right side that there's a there's a sign in Spanish? Yeah. Well, what's really curious is why Spanish. It makes no sense because the the other thing about the Kagurazaka neighborhood is this is where uh, many of the French expats in Tokyo work because the French Institute. Uh, is located in this neighborhood. So there's a lot of French bistros and bakeries and boulangeries or whatnot in Kagurazaka. And a lot of his customers, um, obviously, jazz is huge in France as well, as we know. Um, So many of his customers uh, work at the French Institute and come by here. And he said that that they, on a Friday night, you'll find that probably the majority of the customers will be be these French um, workers at the Institute. So, you know, he was telling me that story. And I was like, oh, Wow, okay, that's that's cool. I'll have to come by one night to check that out. And then I noticed, that, well, why is the sign in Spanish? Like, did he make a mistake? Did he think that it was French and he wrote it for them? Uh, it's completely inexplicable. I'm, I mean, I almost feel like I want to call him up right now to ask him. Um, and, you know, he'd probably be happy because he remembered me. It had been uh, two or three years since I had gone there when you and I went, and he immediately remembered me and had a big smile on his face, which, well, you captured his smile in, in that photo you mentioned before. Tell me about what, why you why you love this picture so much. Well, it's just- I just think it sums up him. I mean, first of all, he's just so happy. And, like, again, in terms of setting the scene, I mean, we came in, obviously you knew him, so there was a little bit of, oh, hey, how's it going? And he was already sat in that chair, and he was watching... Uh, VHS, v, 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 he was watching VHS. It's so long since I've had to say that word; uh, it, it doesn't come <laughs> out anymore. He was watching VHS. I can't. I literally can't say it. VHS videos. I mean, you're the one on the beer, is that, not me. Is, is um, that what they're called? VHS videos. V, <laughs> VHS videos on that uh, TV uh, and video player in front of him, and it was on one of those. Um, kind of metal contraptions that I remember from school when, you know, at the end of term, a science teacher would wheel them in and we'd get to watch a video instead of doing any study. And, you know, we must have sat in that corner. He's looking at us directly and talking to us about what's in the video. And we must have sat there for a good 20, 25 minutes. And I think eventually when either a song finished or that particular concert finished, he then said, so do you want a drink? (laughs) 
like, but, but Philip, you don't you don't remember? I I'm sure I told you afterwards because you looked at me like, is he? Does this guy even like acknowledge that we're customers? <laughs> don't you remember that I told you the first time I went there was exactly the same experience because he basically just sits there watching videos. Okay. Yeah. And when I had gone there a couple years before that, I walked in and he was watching Weather Report live at Montreux. Okay, yeah. which was a which was a, a video DVD that had come out several years back. So I walked in. I was alone. It was early, right when he opened, and he was watching that. And he just he just pointed to the chair and he, he sit down. And he's like, "Look at this! Look at this!" He said it in English too. He said, "Look at this! Look at this!" And I looked up and I was like, "Oh wow, that's Weather Report!" And he was grooving to it, man. And then he just kept shouting out things like Jacko. You know, <laughs> Joe Paulo, Wayne, and he got so hyped, and exactly the same thing. It was about fifteen minutes, and afterwards, he was he just stood up and applauded, and then he was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Can I get you something to drink?" Yeah, it was brilliant because I think it was the first time. Um, it's the first time we sort of had that experience. I think certainly going in to photograph it, um, so it was really interesting for me. But I mean, it just. It was probably one of those places that, I mean, I know he's got a Facebook page, although he just begun it at that point, which was probably about four year, four or five years ago. But I think, you know, it was just one of those places where absolutely no attention really was given to any of the normal uh, kind of business or hospitality norms that you find in Japan. It was just all about the music. You were coming into his space. Uh, mm. And like, you know, it was just... A fantastic uh, place to go. I mean, really, genuinely, like one of the the, the best memories that I've ha had from the project. What about this meditation room? Do you want to explain what that is? You know better than me, usually. So, <laughs> well, yes, because I do take frequent visits to the meditation room on our jazz nights out. Um, yet again, reasons unknown. Um, the bathroom is labeled the meditation room uh, in English on a very big wooden door, and um, if I remember correctly, when you go in, you know how a lot of times, um, you know, restaurants, bars, and, and, and they'll have like the scented incense um, or they'll be burning some oil or whatever. Uh, but he had a bunch of flowers in, 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 the, in the bathroom, in the meditation room, sorry, which again, completely goes against the grain of the rest of this dingy, dusty, yeah, completely yeah. uncleaned bar. But he had some fresh flowers in there, so obviously he took uh, he took the facilities uh, very seriously, and and uh, that just another reason that it just charmed me completely you know because it was like no i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna stock a full bar um i'm just gonna you know the glass is gonna be dirty the counter is gonna be full i might not even serve you for the first 20 minutes you're in but i'm gonna smile i'm gonna groove in the music with you and i'm gonna give you a fantastic bathroom mm. and as our regular <laughs> listeners must know by now that's a very very important part of the jazz bar experience for me after a couple beers so um corner pocket absolutely near the top of uh my must visit places uh to get to get a feeling that you really won't get anywhere else i mean i don't think i've ever been in a you know you've gone to pubs or bars back in the states or whatever where there might be rude service or it's a dingy place but never with anyone so just full of joy about mm. what they were doing um so it's just really really special and that that photograph is certainly near near the top of uh, my favorites of, of of ones that you've taken 
Now, James, I don't know if you want to talk about this, and, and of course, uh, you don't have to if, if you don't want to. And I'm not sure if it was the same evening or not, but obviously, um, thinking about that Kagurazaka area in particular, and uh, I remember one evening we were there, I'm fairly sure it was after, but we went to another fairly um, uh, unique kind of bar, but not jazz related at all. Um, and I think probably for me, it's one of my enduring memories of just being in Japan and certainly the relationship that we developed over the course of the project. Uh, and that's the the Vows Bar, which if if you don't, uh, if you if you're listening and you're not familiar with it, is a bar that is run by a Buddhist monk, um, if you can imagine such a thing. Um, do you want to talk about that just the evening we went there? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, that's, um, wow, I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, yeah, Vows is, uh, it is run by a, a proper Buddhist monk. There is a small temple right next to um, the bar. It's, um, he basically runs it with a couple of the other of, uh, sort of apprentices who are at the temple, um, who are jazz fans. Uh, keep in mind that this is Japan, so this is not considered unusual by Japanese people at all. I think that when I first heard about it, I thought that, oh, come on, you know, they're scamming, you know, it's just one of these, like, you know, theme, theme type bars. bars. Yeah. But, but no, no, they're actually, they're actually Buddhists. Um, there's, a, there's an altar in the bar. And uh, yeah, I remember because we, we went there, uh, it was right after my my mother had passed away, um, very very close after she passed away when I'd come back from the states, and um, it was a very sort of strange experience because in the vows bar every day at seven o'clock, um, the, the the priest from the temple comes in. And he does a sort of a, you know, um, I guess he does a, a sermon, a small sermon. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he he's led up the stairs because he's blind. I mean, visually, the, the whole atmosphere is extremely, extremely intense um, because you're in this cramped little space. They're playing the jazz, you're drinking, and all of a sudden, this, this very serene-looking priest comes in who's blind, goes up to the altar, he does some prayers, and then he gives a little sermon. And that particular night, he, he was speaking about um, the uh, the meaning of death, or I guess how we interpret the meaning of death um, in 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 our in our daily life. And the timing of that was was extremely obviously very emotional for me. And uh, yeah, Philip, I'm glad that you remember that man. That was that was a really special evening for sure. Yeah, I think for me, you know, it, it, it's definitely one of the things. I mean, obviously, we've we've had a lot of uh, time sitting. Uh, talking or not talking um, in different places all over the country uh, throughout the course of the project. But I do remember just, you know, again, it, it seems sort of like gimmicky, but really it's hard to explain. But, you know, you're, you're just sitting there in a fairly regular bar and people are chatting and drinking and talking uh, like you would spec expect in any kind of place like that. And then suddenly, like you say, um, it goes silent and everyone stops, respectfully listens uh, to the priest. And then he, you know, he read this kind of um, sutra out. And as you said, he talked a lot about death. And I just thought for me, it was just one of those moments that, you know, uh, it's very hard to recreate, I suppose. I mean, it's just incredible that in the context of you having just lost your mother, that that was the subject that he chose to talk about. And, and I remember us just sitting there, you know, in silence um, next to each other and obviously very moving for you, uh, considering what had just happened. And I, I think for me, you know, it's just one of those 
completely unjazz related moments, but uh, a very sort of poignant memory from from my time in Japan and, and obviously from our time together in the in the project. So I'm glad you're happy to talk about it, and uh, I thought it might be interesting just for listeners uh, to oh, get yeah. to get no, a feel certainly. for that, that place. Was, that was a, it was a really really special experience, and and uh, yeah, definitely very deep um and unexpected you know i mean that's why would you expect this to ever happen yeah. and you know we've we're, we're going to get into that um on some other shows uh you know when we talk about some of our other adventures uh, traveling uh whether it's up north or down south where we've had some non-jazz moments that really stick into i mean you know i'm more than 20 years in japan um but there's some 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 key things in there involving volcanoes and uh, old ladies for example which which i'll keep as a teaser but uh, <laughs> yeah that certainly sounds like a teaser volcanoes and old ladies <laughs> i wish you'd phrase that differently if you're interested in finding out about the vows bar there's a lot of stuff about uh, about it online any anyone listening in the uk you'd be familiar with uh, ITN News, they did a. Uh, there's a video about it uh, on YouTube. I found there from 2013. Oh, no, I've, I've, got, I've got a, uh, I've got a profile of it on my site as have well. You? Okay, um, good. If you, yeah, if you look at Tokyo Jazz site, you'll you'll see I've got a, a little profile on it. Not too much about it, but a little bit. Yeah, you. More can recently, read about it. Um, there's a there's an article on Vice as well about it online. If again, if you're looking for more information about it, uh, you can find you know, it. I on don't there, know so. if there's. To be honest, I I, I need to check that uh, that they're still open. Um, I I do recall. Uh, seeing yeah one of the sort of travel people tweet about it about uh two years ago so i think it is still there uh because you know they do have their local uh regular japanese customers but but once it's been profiled a bit uh there's certainly been a lot of um overseas tourists who are interested mm. uh in, in in seeing this experience and i think like i'd mentioned you know some people might have been skeptical that it was, you know, a gimmicky, kind of a robot bar type thing, you know, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. That, that idiotic place in Shinjuku. But it's not uh, it's not like that at all. It's definitely authentic and, and well worth checking out. And that whole little neighborhood has got a lot of things to see. So, um, you know, certainly would, would, would recommend walking around there. Well, that's probably all we've got time for this week. And um, that was Tokyo Deep Cuts Part 2. Uh, we hope that they were, the, they were deep enough cuts for you. Uh, I apologize for my seeming inability of my mouth to work this week. I don't know if it's just because I'm tired. It's been a long week, but uh, wow. Anyway, I'll do, what I, I'll do what I can to try and edit out the worst parts of it. Um, if you're... Um, listening uh, uh, to us on Apple Podcasts, please uh, go ahead there and give us a rating and a review. Obviously, the more ratings and reviews that we get, uh, the more traction we can get in the charts uh, and increase our listenership. Equally, if you like what you're hearing, please uh, share it with people, uh, post it on social media, uh, and let's get the message out about this fantastic project. TokyoJazzJoints.com is the website, obviously, so go on there. You can find photographs from all the places we've discussed today and, indeed, uh, 130 other joints as well, if you're so inclined. James, in the meantime, um, I'll see you next week, same time, same place, hopefully. You bet. See you next week. And a quick PSA for our listeners out there. Do protect your VHS video jazz cassettes because you (laughs) never know when they will be coming in handy. Just don't try to pronounce it. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Take it easy. See ya. Bye. <laughs>